0: Hello listeners, my name is Russ Shaw, your host, titling this episode, Sexual Order and
1: Chaos,
0: through the eyes of your host, Russ Shaw. This is season 7 episode number
1: 2.
2: I I I I attitudes of sexual integrity 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 TAS t- I you're y- listening to t- 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 t-
0: I believed that, man, and I'm okay. <laughs> I love that at the end there, all right? I'm okay, all right, and yeah, I did believe there's only one way out. For a while, the myth of one way out could be the title of this show, but it's not. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm gonna slow down here. Florence Black the name of that band and you can find uh all the bumper music i play on this here podcast and while this show is not on spotify (laughs) the playlist is on uh the asi podcast bumps playlist on spotify that's right you just search asi podcast bumps in the spotify app and you'll find it there um ASI247.org is the website for this here podcast. It has no sponsor. No sponsor anymore. <laughs> there was a The unsaid company was sponsoring this show, and they, they cut all ties. And they wouldn't tell me why, which is interesting. But I pulled it off of the main website there. Um, I didn't have time to pull it off the other ones, the old classic ASI website, which is linked through the main website, that website goes all the way back to 2005, man, before Facebook was a thing. Yeah, it's uh, this is a piece of internet history you're listening to right here. <laughs> Speaking of history, uh, telling my story some on this show and talking about hopefully maybe I can influence you to think about your own sexual past, your own sexual history, because a lot of where we are and how we think about sex and what arouses us and what we do with that arousal, what those feelings create in our body and how we respond, the framework for that is laid way back in childhood all right over and over again studies and psychological tests and there's just a lot of really educated way smarter than me people who's been studying this stuff a long time and it's important i say that because a lot of my work here has been the school of hard knocks it's been trial and error it's been yeah well i know come on And listen, for a long time I had this machismo, I'm a take charge kind of man. This is the present, man. I'm living in the present. And I want to leave the past in the past and power into the future. Because I'm a man and that's what men do. Much as I'd like to believe that that is true, submitting myself to people who knew more than I did, Uh, taught me and we all have a sensual past yes even men um the best definition of sensuality was from a, a woman named layla martin who does some work in the area of sexuality and psychology and graduated from stanford her definition was my favorite and i believe it's the most accurate sensuality is the pleasure of touch and the experience of having a body all right, Your experience of having a body started as a kid. Childhood, sexual experiences, and learning. All right, The way we process sex, the way we experience life, we experience our parents, we experience boys and girls kissing, doing romantic things, stuff we see on television, um, naked bodies. Bodies that are showing parts that aren't like mine of the opposite sex or same sex parts that, you know, what what our feelings and our own proper or improper, our relationship with the humans who taught us about proper, our young minds are working through the order of it all. The cognitive dissonance that gets stirred up, and we're like sponges for solving that stuff really quickly, but how we're taught to think about these things how we're we're made to feel about our own bodies, and as a result, our own nervous system, all right there's a lot of recent you know going back to ninety nine up until 2018 I shared a story or some research from Science Daily about uh, you know our sexual thoughts our sexual lives and how they affect our very nervous system how they affect you know how we fe- how anxiety levels and and things of this nature because the nervous system the way our body feels and processes things and yeah guys I'm going to say the f word Our feelings about how we think about our genital area is a huge part of that. How we're raised to believe about it impacts the way we think, the way we feel, our sense of security and safety is in there, you know, hungers and thirsts on the inside whether they be healthy ones or not so healthy ones. And the unhealthy ways we think about sex, it sort of works like malware, you know, like a viral kind of thing working in the background subconsciously and infecting and affecting our lives on a daily basis. Excuse me while I have a Taste of my cold brew coffee as I am doing this. I am just, I am just gonna chat at you. All right, I am not gonna edit this thing into you know micromanage. <laughs> I am tempted to do that sometimes. I just want to talk to you guys. All right, um, my story two thousand twenty. I've told my story before. This is gonna be different. Same story. I've just learned some more things. I've mined. Some of the tender parts of my story. And uh, here you go. Um, I was born in Seattle. All right. Swedish hospital. To Helen and uh, Chuck Shaw. My mom uh, passed away in 2016. God rest her soul. My dad still lives with my stepmom now in Arizona. Um, I was the product of divorce, alright, not just yeah, my parents got divorced but when I was born both my folks were mid-twenties and already on their second marriage, they met at the Crown Hill Pub in, uh, just just north of Ballard neighborhood in the Seattle area and, uh, they're tearing it down which is kind of sad for me because if it wasn't for the Crown Hill Pub I may not exist <laughs> If you ever seen that show, the movie, uh, Back to the Future, you know, um, one of those, my origin story, that's where my mom and dad met and fell in love and got married and had me um, right here in the Seattle metro area where I still live. I was named Charles Russell Shaw and I go by my middle name because when I was a tot. I had red hair. I was sort of a DNA milkshake of sorts, you know. I'm like I'm like a 16th Umatilla Indian. I've got, you know, you go through my genealogy, it's, well, it's mostly white people. But when I was about four or five, my hair turned from blonde to red, and it just got redder as I got older. So Rusty was my nickname. Everybody called me Rusty, and up until... I don't know 6th 7th grade my dad started you know interjecting that I was an adult now and that people should refer to me as Russell you know stop calling him Rusty he's a, you know he's a grown up now call him Russell Russell's his name you know so that's my middle name but because of my nickname the rusty nickname which a lot of my older relatives still called me up until they passed <laughs> rusty uh, but i have pictures of me man when i was i was i was the quintessential redheaded stepchild somewhere around that age i'd say 5 or 6 we moved to bellingham washington from north seattle area where my dad worked at boeing um we moved to Bellingham, my dad worked, I believe he worked for the refinery back then, the Shell Oil Refinery, which was up in Anacortes. Um, He bought a little house there, and I learned how to ride a bike there. I remember growing up, I was probably six or seven. The neighbors were all girls, Um, three girls, one of them about my age, and she was curious. You know, she was a very curious girl. <laughs> so talking about my sexual history here, um, and she we, we did the kind of you know you show me yours, I'll show you mine kind of thing, right? Um, my dad also in his garage had a, a collection of Playboy magazines many Playboy magazines, uh, stacks of them. And we, as curious kids about six years old, would go through these. And it's funny how, you know, you'd think kids that age aren't sexual yet or curious about sex, but was it the pornography? I I don't know. That got us curious about it. Um, You know, we we did that whole thing. But there was no real, like, sexual activity between her and I. But that was probably my first time seeing a, a vagina right there wasn't anything else really I don't even remember but that was you know it was quick I'll show you you know we'll do this and she would pose in her underwear like some of the centerfold girls I remember back then at, at six seven years old uh, that was what was going on at the time um And I don't know, would we have been that curious about sex without the pornography? I I really don't know whether porn was involved or not. I think that kids are curious about sex and the parts that the other opposite sex has. I'm working to not demonize the pornography because that's really easy to do. And that's something that has tripped me up in the past is to think about that experience and go, you know, it's the porn's fault. The porn messed everything up. The porn got us kids, you know, sexualized way too early and bad, you know, (laughs) horrible. Um, I would have probably been interested in sex either way, right? But, yeah, leaving pornography out for your six-year-old is probably not the best parenting uh, healthy thing to have happen. (laughs) I'll, I'll throw that out there as well. There are studies that say that a kid seeing hardcore pornography is, has some of the same effects without the relationship as childhood sexual abuse or assault. So yeah, keeping porn away from the kiddos is, is pretty standard cultural knowledge. My shaping morality of sex. Uh, I grew up very Christian. Ten Commandments, you know, basic morality there. And some of that, you know, it gave me comfort and the security of feeling like there's an order to things or even an order to sexuality, even though it seemed to be like, don't speak of that, like Mr. Yuck Sticker. Like I don't know if any of you remember that. Maybe I'm dating myself. I think they tried to bring it back a while back, but it, poison control, right? Like they had these little stickers they would give out. Like if you had little kids and you'd teach your kids to not drink the liquid Drano, you know, you'd put the Mr. Yuck sticker on it. No drinking dishwashing liquid. All those bottles under the kitchen sink, Right. Sex was sort of like that uh, growing up in my tradition, religious tradition. All right, my mom's side of the family. When my mom was little and into her teen years, there was no fun at all because everyone knows that fun, would, especially as a teen, was going to lead to a whole nother kind of F-word fornicating. My grandmother was uber christian super controlling to my mom when she was growing up. She couldn't go to the movies like movies were the devil and um no dancing dating all that stuff was out so my mom grew up really sheltered and over controlled. My dad um didn't grow up religious at all you know there was no you know religion stuff in the in the family at all. My mom They did start going to church. I remember vaguely my mom and dad going to church when I was a little boy. Um, But that's something that I wanted to also bring to the attention of listeners and maybe new listeners. Um, This show, here's, here's a disclaimer for you. This show is going to include God stuff. And swear words, all right? Um, Let me address the first one, God stuff. I would be considered a Christian, all right? Um, Christian mystic is kind of how I like to, to, you know, identify maybe spiritual anarchist. I think Jesus is very punk rock. You know, it makes a lot of sense to me how, uh, God comes to earth as a man and, and the religious establishment kills him, right? Like you are, <laughs> you're not behaving the way we want you to. And you know, we don't like the way you're dressed and how you challenge religious authority. Don't you know, these guys went to Bible college, we don't like how you're loving and kind to the wrong people, <laughs> the people that we think you shouldn't be loving and kind to. So naturally, as a bunch of institutionalized religious people with a rogue, popular, rebellious punk rocker, they kill him. Like that makes sense to me. That's why you know I, I dig the the Christian story. And I know that may ruffle some feathers, but stick with me, all right? This is about what I've experienced, all right? If you don't like it, it's just my story. You can leave that on the shelf, (laughs) okay? Um, But for me, my spiritual path, my belief in following Jesus, like, don't call me religious. That ruffled my feathers, all right? But but I'm a spiritual, I have a deep spiritual thread to my own story, to the way I process life, um, to the way I see things. Now, that is not religious, all right? And this is, this you know, this can cause some conflict in your own mind. It can stir up some dissonance. But I hold to that, all right? There's a big difference between religion and and spirituality. For one thing, in philosophy, the word spirit refers to the value or weight of something non-material, something that can't be bought or sold, something that can't be eaten, right? Something you can't touch, something you can't pull off a rack at a store because it would look good on you. Um, something that you pull out of a cooler at Seven Eleven, right? It's something like you can't have sex with, uh, you can't consume it, and you can't put it in a storage locker. You can't park it in a garage. You can't have an addition to it. You, you get my point. Spirit is the essence of of love, for example, God is love is something that's written in the Bible. this is a touching on spirit in philosophy. In the traditional, even religious sense, spirit stands for breath in Latin. This is uh, giving life. Anything with life has spirit to it. Once the life is crushed out and the spirit goes away, it's considered dead. In horror films and books and graphic novels, the zombie right metaphor is is a great one for this. You know, zombies are tenacious. They know what they want, right? They have a goal and they're going for it. right? full speed ahead. I'm gonna get that, but they're not alive. They're dead. Walking Dead things, with ambition, they have no spirit, no soul. Right, soul. There's another word that can trigger those who are sensitive to religion. I'm working to be mindful of the language here because I think a lot of folks who have issues like there's you know the non-religious like I don't want a religious approach to this thing. Neither do I. All right, I do not take a religious stand. I've been harmed by religion. And that's where I'm getting into in this part of my story. But I wanted to explain that because I think that's really important. Man, if you have issues with Christians or religious people, so do I. All right. There's a thing called spiritual abuse. I heard in the next DSM, the manual that psychologists use to diagnose and treat, you know, different psychological disorders, they're going to have one in there for spiritual abuse because it causes all sorts of uh, trauma in people. People like me, red-headed little stepchild, Russ Shaw, who at around seven years old, would hold his pillow tightly around his ears while his mom and dad would fight, yelling and screaming back and forth, saying really mean, unkind things to one another into the night until i would eventually either fall asleep or one of them would slam a door really loud and sleep on the couch or leave my understanding of love which is spiritual my understanding of the religious mom and dad love each other I might have been young, but I saw marriages on TV and I'd been to a few weddings as a kid. And I realized that going in front of a pastor or priest and a religious professional or authority and saying until death do us part, the order that should have been was chaos as I laid there tears so soaked into my pillow it was getting damp to lay on this one way religious order started to break down in front of my eyes and I experienced that feeling and praying and praying and praying God please make it stop and it continued and it continued and it continued Until there were nights where dad just didn't come home anymore. And that was the starting of the undoing of their marriage. Um, This was painful as a kid. and, And having grown up being told that God was watching out for me and that God cared about me and the whole Alter call kind of thing, and you pray this magic prayer. And do you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy, Russ? Yeah, I do. So, no, I want to go to the hot place with the demons and the sulfur, you know, and the ashes. And no, I don't want. I want to go to where mom and dad. I don't know why this is. This is just absurd, but. I did that prayer you know and and I prayed and God I became part of God's family you know and God accepted me in as as far as my the tradition I grew up in was telling me and so I would pray and I would pray that my mom and dad would stop fighting you know and then when dad didn't come home anymore because he was had an apartment this this continued you know I was praying and praying and please don't let my parents get divorced praying to god and this tore me up as a kid it, it, it threatened my whole identity it threatened my idea of security of mom and dad love each other and mom and dad love me all those thoughts and all those feelings colliding did i break the order did i cause the chaos was it something that i did and I remember, as that little red-headed boy feeling all of this coming apart and disconnectedness, the alone feeling started to set in. And I got so incredibly angry inside. As, as a little kid, man, I just wanted things to go back to the way they were, that I would be safe and okay, and they weren't. And somebody had to be to blame for this icy feeling. I was incredibly mad. And feeling so alone.
1: Close my eyes when it gets too sad. I think thoughts that I know are bad. Close my eyes and I count to ten, hope it's over when I open them. I want the things that I had before, like a Star Wars poster on my bedroom door. I wish I could count to ten, make everything be wonderful again. I hold my mom and I hope my dad will figure out why they get so.
0: and wonderful just the first time I heard it it, like, it shook me all those feelings came flooding back art has a way of reconnecting us with the uh, ghosts that are still rattling around haunting the hallways of the vessel we sail this life in scars and wounds you know we all got them not one person's going to get through this life without them. The good news is that every heart has sort of a engine light, you know, notification that pops up to let us know that there's something on the inside that needs attention. Again, that's some of the art of life is realizing what's a wound and what's a scar, Wounds can still bring back a disruptive flood of emotions. It's, wonder, it's supposed to be wonderful. Don't, don't tell me about this wonderful. But I kept praying, even though this was eroding my very foundation, this very real clear and present danger that my folks might split up. But I still had this faith, you know. And I kept praying... And I kept praying. And there was a glimmer of hope. As they went to counseling. I remember my grandmother would come over. And my aunt. And pretty soon mom and dad started doing. I don't remember totally. But it seemed like there was a, a counselor involved. And they were doing date nights. And they were trying to rekindle things. And make some time for each other. And Yeah, over time, they still got divorced anyway, and I wanted to address some of that divorce shaming. And some of you who have been through divorce, or possibly may go through one, and you have kids involved, and it's painful, and that pain for some of us can go inward... I get the feelings of self-flatulating guilt because I've ruminated in it myself. We tend to rip and tear and be critical of our own heart. Reminds me of that song, The Trial, on the... uh, pink floyd the wall album where worm your honor comes in and if you're like me it's start to over judge yourself and your own actions your own motivations there's no question that content like this can have you caught red-handed showing feelings right feelings of an almost human nature it's lyrics from The Trial. So I want you to realize I've been there too, and it's not my heart or my goal to have you feeling guilty about a, a separation or a divorce that you may be involved in as you're listening to this. I just want you to be mindful that when it comes to safety, intimacy, sexuality, that this is my origin story, all right? And you talk about sexual order and chaos. I mean, a divorce tends to rip at you, the individual going through it. the The conflict, whatever it is, that's causing the separation. Blame the cheater. Blame the cheater. That tends to be how it works out. And that is, you know, on the surface, the law, right? The sin, whatever, the adultery, that's grounds for divorce. And that's where in legal terms, there's all black and white. There's no subjective understanding. When I see an affair, I hear, you know, there's a tumor in there somewhere much like a symptom of a deeper issue you know anyone who has an affair a lot of times there's something going on in the marriage where they're not able to communicate and it could be like myself there's something going on in me where I didn't feel safe to communicate not just myself it had to do with the way we evolved in our communication if that makes sense. And when my bomb went off and all of my secrets were exposed in the light, divorce very much was on the table. And while we worked things out, I've also seen how, in the lives of other couples, how the heat from that bomb going off just tended to boil all that dysfunction and bring it to the surface. And for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for a lot of folks, everything's been so black and white for so long that hearts can grow cold and then somebody's to blame for the tumor. And when that becomes legal, you know, lawyers get involved, there's family court law, the subjective raw nerve endings of. I get it. Sometimes divorce really is the best option. The last thing that you want to do is stay in some kind of abusive relationship, especially if there's kids involved. It's kind of like relational Chernobyl, where you're keeping them in the toxic radiation of acceptance towards a relational and social normality where they just grow up thinking and feeling that this is how relationships are. Children who are learning relational safety, their own security, their own value, they just subconsciously learn that it's okay to be mistreated and abused not necessarily because they are but because they see mom or dad demonstrating all they know about how to be it's like the old saying you teach people how to treat you and if you have kids you're demonstrating for them by example of how they feel they ought to be treated. But I I would pray that you would do the best, you know, like my folks trying to, you know, get a counselor. When one blows up one's marriage, there's an opportunity for healing. When someone finally says enough to a mistreatment or a disconnection, when the norms of the relationship currently are no longer acceptable that they come to a death point yeah again there's an opportunity to heal but there's also the reason we tend to tolerate these relationships and situations of fear and right because it's risky and that's why i believe with a lot of sexual dysfunction and people that just they want to get caught at some point That's where psychologists say intimacy disorder, right? Because for a lot of us, it's not just about lies and secrets. It's affecting our nervous system, our very emotional state day to day. And because those ruts of dysfunction have grown so deeply over time, we become so afraid to talk to have a conflict relationally it comes out as it's sexually compulsive behavior either it gets exposed or you confess it because something must break this toxic abusive social norm that's grown over the years for example there's a cold religious way of relating to one another that was very prevalent in the tradition that i grew up in Tell death do us part, no matter what. And it's still the most popular worldview or zeitgeist of religious Christian culture, at least in my country today, is that divorce is never an option. Divorce is sin. And sin can be defined as anything that's against human flourishing or life See, when one person, like an addict, is clinging their hands tightly around this controlling attitude or abusive way of relating to the other. A good example of this is domestic violence, where the husband is saying he's sorry and he'll have tears even and really say, I'm not going to do this anymore, but make no effort to get counseling to get any mental health help enabling that is also sin. And staying in that relationship is idolatry. See, when, when someone decides they're not going to work at it, then you know things can be over. There is an energy to tearing down, and there's also an energy to rebuilding and reconstructing and the truth is there's not a lot of certainty around this stuff there's leaps of faith that are taken in the direction of hope and connection because there is no magic when it comes to things working out and staying together I think in, in um, the culture that I grew up in, the religious culture I grew up in, you, you had to be faithful enough, and you must be obedient enough, and then you'd have the magic that would keep this thing together. And if you didn't, if it started breaking apart and you saw the cracks, then you must be out, right? There was in God's favor, and then there was out of God's favor. There's only one way out of the bad or the sin you know and, and, and to make you okay and listen that idea isn't just a christian thing okay that's very prevalent in western culture love is deep all right it, there's layers to this stuff love isn't just simply an emotion most people think of love as affection love isn't isn't just affection love is why We have affection to begin with. There's no room for love in performance, relational love, the kind of romantic or love for a family member or child love. If you marry someone, if you're in a relationship with someone, they will eventually disappoint you. All right. For example, they won't perform to all of your standards getting into that spirit part, right? And this culturally dominant idea of performance, like probably birthed out of Judeo-Christian culture, that you you got to perform, you got to do it, you got to get on the treadmill, and it's all up to you. And all that judgment towards the ones that aren't performing comes back to roost on ourselves emotionally, emotionally, And if you were the man enough, or if you were the woman enough, this wouldn't be breaking down on you. And and I'm sorry to bring you the news that it things just come apart, and there's not a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it. The tragedy, the comedy, it—it just is. It's the chaos if there's any order that we can control it's how we react to the chaos not looking for someone to blame not hating on ourselves cuz we're not obedient enough cuz we didn't figure out god's plan not feeling as if we're abandoned and thrust in the, the the alone And putting order into the chaos is not necessarily performance. But there are things that we do that stir affections. Stir our own affections. Stir the affections of those we love around us. Living life like there's no ticket to punch. So we can trip the order in our direction machine to give us favor today. And for my brothers and sisters in faith out there, um how is this not works? Right? Feeling all this guilt and condemnation come heaping down on you losing Christian relationships, you know, I lost friends in church over this. Um and we stayed married. But again, the question, how is it not works? You know, again, the Bible says it is by God's gift, God's gift of salvation, not by works. Ephesians two nine, not by works, so that no one can boast. Get my get my preacher on. <laughs> a listener years ago sent me a hoodie um, that has a big skull on the front and a crow, and on the back Romans eight. He custom-made it himself, and he he made it for himself, but then was too self-conscious to wear it. But he said, listening to the podcast, he knew me and He knew I would wear it. Damn right, man. I rock that thing every so often. On the back of the hoodie, it says this. Neither angels nor demons. In gothic font across the back. And on the side, there's a crow, and he's sitting on a little sign or placard that says, Romans 8:38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's all inclusive love of all of us humans it's not real popular today even myself in the first episode of this show 14 years ago you know the the walter call incantation you know say this prayer and it doesn't work that way everyone is already saved Alright. A lot of folks just don't know it yet. I have atheist friends who are a lot more fruit of the spirit. You'll know them by their fruits than a lot of Christians I know. It's not as easy as punching a ticket and joining a club. It's realizing the order and the chaos live and grow and move together if nothing separates you from the love of God, if that's true, syncing up with that, making that part of your prayer life, change everything. Change the way you see the world. This is the end of part one. My name is Rush Shaw, ASI247.org. Bye.
1: Nah, I didn't understand the thing you said but I didn't know better, I guess you're already dead Minor zombies walking around, but it ain't been a hunch Saying stuff like, you only live once You got one time to figure it out One time to twist and one time to shout One time to think and I say we start now Sing it with me if you know what I'm talking about Gangsters don't cry, that for I'm
2: or Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is a listener-supported podcast. Do you like what you hear? hear? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents.
1: The podcast and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal or other advice. In addition, Russ makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional physiological, or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wing. We seem to be unable to contact Washington at this time. Let's try once again. Our cue to Washington is here as a summary by Gunner Back.
2: The ASI Podcast is a listener supported production. Your greatly appreciated financial assistance in keeping the ASI Podcast up and running is the reason it has been in existence this long. But Russ needs more accomplices in delivering this underground message to the masses. You can give one time or be a monthly accomplice to this here pirate radio program. You can do that as a co producer. Go to ASI247.com. ORG to learn more. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe.